All right, welcome to the Golden Crane podcast where we read the Wheel of Time book series started by Robert Jordan, finished by Brandon Sanderson. I'm your host, Stack, and joining me today are Eddie, Tara, Carla, and Skylar. Thank you for listening to our journey through these amazing books. And today we're going to be covering chapters three through five of the Eye of the World, book one of the Wheel of Time. So our first, let's let's take a second just to think about our predictions. Let's refresh our predictions so far. Eddie had a prediction about uh, maybe the dark one is a woman, since the dragon was a man, the opposite sides of the sinuous line, right? The yin and the yang. Uh, Skylar has currently got a prediction that maybe not necessarily the dragon needs to be born, but that he maybe can inhabit so the soul can find a worthy vessel and inhabit that vessel. Maybe the Misty Mountain is where the dragon blew himself up. It's also a Skylar prediction. And Eddie said, maybe Tam is more than a former, which we'll, we'll see if you were predicted that. I think you may have some more opinions here as we go through about that prediction. But So we're starting with uh, Chapter 3, which is the Peddler, which picks up right at the end of Chapter 2, as when the Peddler is coming in town with his giant wagon. So Fane arrives, Padden Fane, right? We get to meet Padden Fane. He's a, uh, what do you say? He's a small statue with a really big nose. I think Rand says he likes to walk around like a rooster, <laughs> strutting a little bit. Uh, townsfolk clamor for news. We get to meet Perrin officially. I think he's been mentioned before, but we get to meet him this chapter. We get to meet, officially meet Perrin Ibarra. Who is kind of one of the the trio between Rand, Matt, and Perrin? We get some news from Fane, right? What was the news, Mom? Remember what the news we got from Fane was about the outside world? For me? Yeah. Yeah, there's war. The false dragon. And the Aes Sedai were going to go help or fight. Right, because he could channel. Right? Yes, quite the, quite the news. And everybody's pretty upset by it. Yeah, yeah, no one wants to hear about war. They, 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 like, such a nebulous... Hello? Jack, I think you just cut out. Lost you. <laughs> I can hear you, Skylar. Yeah, I can hear you, too. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Snow out there in uh, Central and hey. hey, welcome back. No, we didn't get anything. It's just not getting cold and windy here. Ah. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know what that was. We just uh, had a random loss, and now we're not. <laughs> I was afraid someone hit a pole or something. No. Uh, yeah. So Fane brings bad news. He talks about war. Talks about a dragon, and specifically a dragon that can channel, which doesn't seem to be common, right? Although someone does mention there's been more dragons lately, but channeling is. False, false dragons. False, false dragons. dragons. And channeling is like the extra bit. 
it gets to the point where the village council is like, all right, <laughs> just get in the building. Get in the building. We're, we're done. We're done. Actually, there's an interesting line. Um, one of the Senbui or maybe one of the cop ones, they question if he might be the real dragon, right? Because of the because of the weather, right? But certainly a lot more ominous signs compared to what they infer with the other false dragons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, like the whole basically the the whole town center basically gets really really riled up about it, and like even the council's having a hard time keeping everyone in check trying to get this dude, and then finally they make the decision to pull him into the the inn so that they can talk to him and be like, basically like, control the masses, so to speak, so they don't get themselves into a frenzy. Mm-hmm. And we don't want him in a tizzy right before right before winter's night, or right before bell time on winter's night. Uh, so yeah, they, they finally drag him in, and the crowd starts to disperse. We do get an interesting conversation between the boys, right? They discuss... Uh, their opinions on Aes Sedai, the dragons. Yeah, I thought it was an interesting little like slice of how the world views Aes Sedai. Uh, what, would, what would you say was their view there, Eddie? Do you think they find them favorable? It's actually very confusing, if that's one way to put it. And very very divisive, probably, yeah, is a much better way of putting it. Because, yeah. um, you know, certainly they're kind of inferring, but, hey, you know, the dragon is now... Reborn people are flocking to and against the dragon, and they really paint this. You know, the dragon was the world breaker, but, but no, you know, the eyes to die was the reason why the world broke. And so, there's very different views about it. And so, you definitely see different perspectives from even within those, you know, between um, Rand and Matt, too. Because kind of like Matt, you're kind of an idiot for believing him, kind of, kind of inferring that, you know, Rand certainly is believing that the entire Aes Sedai is bad, but, you know, and the dragon's bad, per se, and then, you know, Matt saying, you know, the dragon being reborn is the savior, kind of, if it feels like. So it's definitely all over the place as far as the divisiveness goes. Yeah. Which makes sense about prophecy, right? Yes. Prophecies, everyone kind of has their own take on a prophecy. You know, it does make sense. We also get to officially meet... Tom Marilyn. Oh, wait, no, no not, not yet. yet. That's in the next chapter. Sorry, I was reading the wrong part of my notes. Uh, we meet Nynaeve for the first time here because she pops up when I'm while they're talking about this. So she's a pretty young slip of a girl with dark eyes that carries a really big stick. She's a prickly pear is what she is. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I got the eyes. I'm almost like the small dog syndrome a little bit when I first read about her. Very, very big Napoleon. <laughs> yeah, Napoleon complex is a better word for that. She definitely has one of those. Uh, we also get to officially meet Egwene. I think at this point we've heard about her when when Rand has when they poked fun at Rand about how much he likes her. We haven't met her yet, but we do get to meet Egwene. And uh, what uh, what do you find interesting about Egwene, Skylar? So it's actually funny you mentioned that because like just from my limited knowledge of like how like a woman's brain works and stuff like that. It almost seems like Egwene wants to be a wisdom out of spite because Rand really hasn't made his move on her. You know? Uh, so she's just kind of doing this, just like, oh, well, like, if he doesn't want me, then I'm going to do this. And it's just, like, like 
like an all or nothing scenario. And now that he knows that, that, that she wants to be a wisdom, which I'm under the impression that they're not allowed to take husbands. Um, uh, he basically voices that he doesn't really support that because like, he has interest in her, which then just in turn annoys her even more. The, it's like too little, too late kind of an effort kind of thing. And so she's just really annoyed with him now, but they, they, they still share a couple of like tender moments while like everything's going on. But yeah. I never thought about her being uh spiteful, but I could definitely, now that you bring it up, I could definitely see that being a part of her character for sure. What do you think, Mom? You're the other woman in this group. <laughs> what do you think about this conversation? Well, I'm, I'm at an advantage and disadvantage because I read the Ravens section first because it was in my book. Oh, that's true. And yeah. she is very much non-traditionalist in that part when she was younger. Um, so... This it seemed like right in character for what I had read earlier. So Ravens establishes that she's got more of a wanderlust and and uh, a want to have more than this provincial life. The quoted the quoted Disney movie. So, uh, maybe I misread, but I thought it was more said the wisdoms don't typically take husbands, but not necessarily they, yeah, banned yeah, from taking husbands. So certainly she could be married. It's just they don't typically take husbands, yeah. correct? You're correct. I, I, th- okay. I think. Well, I, I think the the other big issue with that too, though, is this town already has a wisdom, and she's very young. Yes, she's she's going to be the wisdom for the next forty plus years, and so then that would mean Egwene would have to go to a different town. I think that's where a bigger issue lies with Rand. Yes, he wants to yes. stay in the comfort zone, so to speak. Oh. But it, it, Rand, Rand is your your. Oh, go ahead. In one in one first. section, they were talking about that one of the other towns had would only have wisdoms from another town because they didn't want them to play favorites. So, which makes would, sense. That would might be difficult if you had a husband as well or children. True, right? You may not want him getting into having opinions that you have to correct or you speaking put them bad first or, over your your or town's have him folk. making bonds yeah. with people in town. When you're that affect you, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. The husband could could definitely make some some bonds that could mess with that impartiality. Uh, the, maybe that's how the original wars all started. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Did you guys get a sense that Matt might also be an adventure craver from that conversation between the three boys? A little bit, yeah, because like, oh, yeah, they, like, if they all end up, uh... oh, hold on, they kept smiling every time. Like every time they people said something, it was just a big old smile. Yeah, because man kept being like, "Why are you smiling?" Was it was it this chapter? or Was it the next chapter when the, the council finally dismisses and that's, that's the next, next chapter? chapter. So. Okay. So I'll hold so, that. Yeah. This one, the only the conversation they have is is every time they talk about the drag or every time Padden Fane says stuff, everyone else gets riled up and Matt just smiles more. Yeah, it's like war. I said, I think, he, I think he craves excitement. He's a little bit of a venture seeker. Yeah, maybe, maybe a, yeah, maybe a thrill seeker, yeah. adrenaline, adrenaline junkie, maybe a little bit. Always yeah. looking for some fun. 
Trying to release, the trying to help release always badgers. causing trouble. Yep, releasing badgers. Yeah. <laughs> Small towns always have one of those. It's true. <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't know no, anything no. about that. <laughs> I did not set someone on fire in the middle of a field twice in one night. Allegedly, <laughs> with with or without a badger. Okay, it never happened. <laughs> so yeah, Nynaeve gets angry with them about their full notions. And that you can tell that they are scared of her and her larger-than-life personality. Yeah. Egwene just basically sits back and lets them do it. And then when they finally drop the the news about the the peddler and uh, the news he brought to town, she gets all pissed off at the council because she's like, oh, they're not going to ask the right questions. Like, they're going to get basically nothing from him. So she rushes off to the council meeting with the the peddler. Yeah, this is a... A woman's matter yeah. here. We did have this conversation about women's matters is whatever the woman thinks is her matter, and apparently, apparently, this is now a woman circle business. So she's gonna go find out and get her own answers. So yeah, she just marches <laughs> right, on right on in there to get her own answers out of Patent Fane. I, I could see where she would prickle some elders in the village, mm-hmm. you know, especially in that kind of small town traditionalist. If you're on the village council and a seven, or she's like twenty five, well. a twenty five year old. Young girl comes in with a stick and starts calling you a yeah. wall-headed idiot. And <laughs> I think the older women know how to manipulate the men a little better, whereas Nynaeve has, has no grace at all. She just goes in and starts whacking. She is as blunt as an anvil on a hammer. <laughs> no, there's no subtlety with her. Uh, we also, right after that happens... That, yeah, Randon and Gwen have their conversation about what if I don't want to be here? And he's like, what do you mean? Everyone stays in the two rivers. He's like, what if I don't want to? And he like, can't compute his brain short circuits on that one. And I think right after that, we get Nynaeve going in and uh, Tom Marilyn, the, the Gleeman, getting kicked out. And that's the end of the chapter, I believe. Tom's not in the chapter. Not, but I think at the end is but when But we he- did find out that Perrin got a coin, too. That's yeah. what I want to talk about. Yeah. Well, not not just that, but he, he also saw the writer. Saw the writer, as well. yeah. yeah. That's what I knew I was missing. It was like something happens before, and that's technically before Nynaeve interrupts because that's one of the things. Mm-hmm. Her and Egwene, right? They dismiss them. They're like, you can't, you don't know what you're seeing. Yeah. Which, which, finding out that he saw the writer because, like, he's the blacksmith's apprentice and he told Master Luhan about that. That could also be one of the reasons why the council met so quickly when Rand and Tam got into town. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Perrin does seem like the more dependable young man you would listen to in the village, just from what we've gotten so far. You know, he's that strong, steady type. Well, we get that from Master Master Luen, just because he said, you know, he told Perrin he was seeing shadows, but he also believed him because he was carrying the hammer around. So he took it seriously. Yeah, he would know that if Perrin said he saw something, that it was probably a threat, whether he saw it or not. Mm-hmm. Yep. So yeah, now we have the three boys, the, our three, our trio of three, all have a coin, and they've all they've all seen a, an interesting man in a black cloak that gives them the heebie-jeebies. Yeah. So, which is an interesting one to start. And, and also, oh no, that's next. Yeah, time. go ahead, Mom. Sorry. Uh, they make several references to how weird and strange people are at Terran Ferry. What is that about? Mm-hmm. Honestly, I think it's um, it's just the excuse our dog. <laughs> I'm sure, that was loud Tara. on the mic. 
for, for yeah, that was Tara. <laughs> for listeners, we have two bulldogs. You'll hear them as this podcast goes on. They have no manners, so I apologize about the dogs. Um, but um, Taryn Ferry, it's like I'm so sorry. <laughs> Hello. I had, I had to had to mute us real quick. Tara had to take the squeaky toy from them because they were had both ends of the squeaky toy and were just tugging it. Um, it's like whenever you've got a lot of small towns near each other and the people in the next town, everyone thinks we're weird, right? It's us versus them mentality. Yeah, it's like it's people like thought different that about, clicks in a high school. Like, oh, that's the weird group, you know? Yeah, okay. <laughs> like, we thought that about Boxite back in the day when we went to Bryant High School. Everybody in Decatur hates kids from Gentry. That's just how it is. Okay. So it's right. just the small population us versus weirdos. them. Okay, I got it. Yeah. So we see the coins come back in. We touched on the the coins in the one of the last three chapters, and we just have three random people that got she just decided to give coins to. Would mm. anybody have any thoughts? Anybody have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I like I, I made the note that like the Black Rider, the Raven, the Peddler, and Moraine all being in town. I don't think that all of those together are a coincidence. And the Gleeman. And the Gleeman. And, and the Gleeman. Yeah, it's like, quite the time for two rivers, isn't it? Yeah. We don't we don't think it's just everybody uh congregating for, for Beltine. Well, they definitely the like maybe the peddler and, and the Gleeman. But well, the they, Black Rider they Raven and that the even rain, that's think, rare. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah, they do emphasize that the Gleeman is even rare for, for Beltine. Yeah. But I mean he his services were also uh like retained. Paid for. Like, so I mean that one's not so much surprising, but like the unexpected black rider, rider of Raven and Moraine, like no one knows where she came from. Where she came from? She hasn't. She hasn't said much yeah. about Mm-mm. herself other than that she's a collector of stories. I mean, do we think that the black rider is even real? We oh yeah, just think that it's a hallucination. <clears throat> maybe not so much of a hallucination. Is maybe more like a messenger per se. Maybe not like a physical messenger, but more like a. Uh, Magical messenger, yeah, almost like a Patronus. Yeah. Do you guys think he might be? uh, Now that we know there's war in Gildon, do we? Do we? Do you guys think that maybe the Black Rider is fleeing the war or the troubles? I don't think he's fleeing the troubles because again, as a messenger, he's probably unrelated to their fears and to unrelated to what the more reasonable explanations are certainly because he only seems to be appear in front of certain people. Um, I can't remember if it's in this chapter or the next, I want to say maybe in the next one um, where he only appears in front of the young men, the young boys. It's the next one. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. All right. Some solid thoughts about this chapter. Any other thoughts to bring up before we move to the next one? You think as we cover everything we need to cover there? Uh, I just wanted to, there's this one uh, excerpt where they kind of, you know, how we were talking about how Matt, you know, certainly is the type of person who really wants adventure. They really describe Ran as the exact opposite. You know, they ask, talk about Aes Sedai, War of the False Dragons. But then they say, you know, Matt, uh, Ran, you know, he believed he would rather have blizzards, blizzards and wolves over all of those things. But, you know, certainly he's still 
wonders about an adventure, a long adventure, and a lifetime of it, you know, outside of the two rivers. I feel like that's a lot of certainly foreshadowing. Yeah, he's definitely. Um, I was, and I meant to mean that. I'm glad you did, because I meant to mean that earlier, and I forgot. He's definitely the uh, the reluctant hero of the group, yeah. right? Matt's the thrill seeker. Perrin, <laughs> we don't know much about Perrin yet, other than he's patient. But yeah, Rand definitely seems to feel that that archetype of the reluctant hero. Definitely, definitely a homebody, and I think that's why he gets so mad at Egwene because she wants to go, and he's she's ruining his picture of the perfect future that he has planned out. They seem to be somewhat betrothed, and he wants, even though he says he's not ready now, he wants that to be an option. He wants them to have the option to share a life together in the two rivers and just stay and be a sheep farmer. Oh, we didn't also, we, we, I forgot to cover. What do we, what happened? What do we notice about Egwene's hair? It's braided. Oh, that's it, right. Like, she's braided. Yeah. Right. Cause Ran like has a, well, yeah. Cause <laughs> I'm sure yeah, he is fake. Yeah, he, he asked if she would dance with him the next day. And she's like, well, I can't during the morning, but in the afternoon I can. Then that's when he sparks like, Oh yeah. Like she's of marriageable age now. And so like, and then, like, he, he realizes a small bit of his own selfishness, too, though. Like, of course, like, mm-hmm. he grew up with her. Like, why would she not become a marriageable, marriageable age the same time he did? Yeah, he, he definitely has a little bit of whiplash from that from that braid showing up. Yeah. I think, I think the book says he looks at it like it's a viper. Probably. Maybe not. But he's definitely like, oh, braid. Freaks him out a little bit. All right, some solid observations about that chapter. I think I think that's pretty much everything we need to cover. So yeah, the end of the chapter is a man with shaggy white hair uh, comes hurrying out of the out of the inn, which brings us into chapter four, the Gleeman. So we get our first introduction officially of the Gleeman, Tom Marilyn. Um, Rand is studies him pretty carefully, sees that he's blue eyed. He makes a comment about it must be someplace out there where people don't all have dark eyes. Because outside of him, everyone has dark eyes in the two rivers. That could probably be because his mom was an outlander, though. True. Very true. Uh, what did you think of the uh, the cloak? Did you guys like the idea of a gleaming cloak that we see here with the massive patches and shapes and sizes and all colors? Well, and it just seems to be a foil, too, not really raggedy, because underneath it's thick. Mm-hmm. The multicolored patches are just kind of an identifier throughout as a Gleeman. If you see someone with a cloak like that, you know that it he's a Gleeman. It's kind of their calling card. I wonder if it implies more so that, you know, that the typical Gleeman's cloak is more of a patch you know certainly it is well traveled and there are definitely much more patched but this guy's cloak definitely seems much more superficial and fake in comparison to other gleeman's cloaks where it's like hey he definitely has patches but they don't look like they're really actually patches and they're just more there Mm -hmm. to maybe deceive people about who he really is that's a good observation Mm -hmm. i like that but yeah, I mean, it's it's true. It, it says the patches are merely sewn on like decorations in this case. So yeah, maybe he is 
camouflaging his cloak like a gleeman's cloak. Now, why would he do that, I wonder, if, if that is true? Because we do, throughout the chapter, he seems to be legit. I mean, yeah. I don't... I've, he juggles. He juggles. Tells the stories. Well, like, he, he does the so, backflip up onto the, the the formation that he starts well, juggling on. Yeah. yeah. And then, so he definitely has skills as a gleeman. But, but he could have some sort of sorted past, perhaps. Yeah, maybe. He did say he once was a court bard, so he definitely was tied to more of a royal audience. Yeah. And so he definitely, uh, yeah. I think, definitely has a much deeper past. I'm good with that. I can yeah, agree. Because doesn't someone address him as Master Bard? I believe it was uh, Moraine. Moraine does. Yeah. No, yeah. oh, he did not like her and at all. <clears throat> he's like, oh no no no, I'm not a, I'm not a master bard. I'm a simple simple gleeman, my lady, or whatever he says. But yeah, and then the the, yeah, the really deep out. bow that he gives her, and like the the casual nod that she gives back, definitely like like kind of hints that they might know each other or know of each other. Um, I was I was gonna ask about that conversation and see what subtext you guys got from that, if you thought there was subtext to their exchange. So, Skyla thinks maybe they know of each other or knew each other. What uh, What about Eddie, what did you think about that, the subtext, if you thought there was any to that conversation? Oh, it definitely felt like that way. If Even if they didn't maybe not know each other in person, they definitely have heard of each other because, um, you know, as soon as he's performing and then he notices they're in the, in the audience, he abruptly stops everything that he's doing. Um, so certainly he recognizes her in one frame or another, in one way or another. Yeah, I think he, uh, he definitely knows her or knows who she is. And he just downplays it is. a lot. Yes. Just to, obviously there's something she once kept secret that maybe he knows about her and, has realized she doesn't want out there just yet. So he's just kind of playing it off. And maybe he doesn't want the people in town to know that he knows her. Could be. Yeah. I've thought there was some subtext there for sure. As to what? I know yet, but there definitely is some. I I got got this really cool feeling that uh, while the Gleeman was, like, doing his juggling, he started, like, listing off the stories that he like knows and might potentially mm-hmm. tell at the festival. He he lists off just a bunch of titles, but I couldn't help but notice that they bore kind of like a striking resemblance to like stories that we know, like mm-hmm. on the other side of the fourth wall, like Arthur Pendrag Tanriel could be like, uh, like their version of like King Arthur, you know, like the story with Merlin and stuff like that. Excalibur. Um, yeah. The green man. Like, could, he was known as Arthur Hawkwing and Archer the High King. Yeah. So um, Green Man could be like the Hulk or something, or James the the Giant Slayer could <laughs> be like Jack and the Beanstalk kind of thing. You know? Yeah. Like, I, I thought yeah. that was really cool. He just like created these like story titles out of nowhere, but they kind of played uh, like a small little tribute to stories that we know. And then, like, there was one that was like Thousand Tales of something. I think, like that. That one could the even Thousand Tales of Alana. Yeah, that one could even be similar to like Grimm's Fairy Tales or something. You know? Yeah, right. 
And there's actually a couple more that he mentions because Egwene, in her attempt to, well, Rand thinks he's being needled about her adventure, adventure wanting and her non-conformism. But she, um, she asked for the story about Lynn, who flew to the moon in the belly of an eagle made of fire, mm-hmm. and his daughter who walked among the stars. What do you guys think of those story titles? Because he, Tom says that they're stories from older than the age of legends. Sounds like so. an advanced civilization. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Does to me too. Definitely Space leans travel. into the whole wheel of time, kind of how things, you know, so many, so many ages have kind of rotated through. That's that's the same thought I had, Eddie. Is it's really showing showing the idea that the wheel the wheel turns endlessly, and you know what was once common becomes rare, becomes myth. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like Lord of the Rings thing. What was once common becomes legend, becomes myth, and then all who who knew it have you know were lost. He talks about you know knowing stories from hey, stop. Sorry, that was a dog. Um, ages when men roamed as brother to the animals. Uh, ages ended by r- fire raining from the skies, ages doomed by snow and ice. You know, so that sounds to me like the the um, one more thing about global warming, almost or possibly ice age. Yeah, the great freezes, ice ages, stuff like that. So yeah, to me, it also felt like the idea that this world is is old, and not just old, but like old. <laughs> We also get a little bit of a, of a, a brief history of the world as is, right? Because he also says he'll talk about the end of the Age of Legends. Uh, and you'll notice he says of the dragon and his attempt to free the Dark One into the world of men. So as Eddie talked about, you know, that's not really an opinion we got earlier, that the, that he was trying to free the Dark One. We got the opinion that he was trying to hurt the Dark One. So again, that idea that everyone has their own opinion about this. But talks about the time of madness, the shining of the world. Uh, we get a, a glimpse of the idea that there were Trolloc Wars, where men battled Trollocs. Uh, the War of 100 Years, where men battled men. Right? So that's, that's kind of the more recent history of the world since the breaking. But you get a good idea of what's some things that will get, get um, expand upon later with that. <clears throat> so it's, it's just a really good job of showing, for me, I thought it was a really good job of showing a rich foundation for the world without, you know, with just a couple of sentences enough to, to really show the grandeur behind it all. And he also, later he also states that he knows that too. He does. He talks about, ped- he knows the peddler. He doesn't have a really high opinion of Pat and Fane. I didn't think that Robert Jordan had a big opinion of Pat and Fane. <laughs> Probably not. Maybe he was using Tom as his vehicle to voice his opinion of. <laughs> well, peddlers. the way he described and him peddlers. is almost like he was shady, really shady, like somebody to be kind of looking out for. Looking mm-hmm. out. Well, I mean, even about. even in the previous chapter, it said that like, even though he's a peddler, like he he was putting on the show as if a gleeman would. Like he, he relied entirely upon his audience, and I mean that that could even weigh into Tom's opinion of him, just like. Stick to what you know, dude. Like, what, if you're going to be a gleeman, be a gleeman. Otherwise, 
Yeah, or just be a peddler. Across the street. He definitely sounded very insecure. And they very they mm-hmm. painted a very good picture of him being insecure and him being a very big, you know, attention hog, essentially. At least the, yeah, um, Tom does say of Fane that there's more Raven in him than man, which we've already seen now that Ravens don't have the best... Um, Reputations. Not opinions. <laughs> Reputations yeah. in the world. Although Egwene does take offense on Fane's behalf because... She He's just a good person that way. Which immediately turns, you know, he starts going straight gleaming from there. He's like, oh, aren't you pretty? Would you like to stand by me and be my assistant? Oh, one thing I did want to mention that I kind of laughed at. I don't know if you guys noticed. When he's coming out of the inn, he's muttering about how a girl child is yelling at him. And uh, I think Rand's shaking her stick at him or something, too. And Rand's like, that's the wisdom. And he goes, that pretty little slip of a girl? Why, at her age, she should be flirting. And everyone everyone around him is like, please don't come out. Please don't come out because they don't want to be around when she comes out and beats him for for his opinion. So I thought that was funny. Everyone's like, oh, don't say that in front of me. <laughs> yeah, don't let her hear you say that. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to be here when you do it. Uh, he does kind of go into his gleaming routine after that. We do get a so he kind of sizes everybody up, right? He says, Egwene, you're really pretty. I need an assistant." Uh, yeah, she calls him Master Gleeman. He goes, "I'm just Tom Marilyn." Right? I'll come back in a minute. Uh, we do learn some more. Talks about Rand. Says he's really tall. Uh, that he's got pretty broad shoulders and he's he's taller than Aiel man apparently. It must be a phrase about a people or something. Calls Perrin nice and broad. Says he's no gear. He also kind of reminds me of like a carnival, like a carny, like a carny when he's like, no, don't pick me up now. Do it later. Like he's gonna have all these, you know, tricks up his sleeve to make the impossible possible. Oh no, I got that a little bit. A, a very highbrow carny, but I got a little bit of a carny out of that when I was reading it. He also kind of gets in, he kind of starts, he pokes fun at the boys too, right? Because they're talking about, well, we've been to the West Fold, or yeah. not, not the West Fold, that's the, more That they're very well traveled. Yes, exactly. Yeah, we've been to the Watch Hill and Devon Ride and the Sand. He's like, all the way to the Sands, have you? To the, ah, that's to impressive. The, to the base of the Misty Mountains. For the Mountains of Mist. Mountains of... See, yeah, we keep messing up our Lord of the Rings terms. <laughs> Rand get, Ran kind of figures it out, though, I saw. He was like, wait a minute. He's making fun of us. Of course, Matt and Perrin are just, just going right along with it. Uh, yeah, then there's the subtext conversation after the stories about between Moraine and him. Calls her Lady. Or no, Ewan, Ewan says she's a lady, and she goes, no, I'm not a lady, it's fine. He's like, no, I'm not a master bard, it's fine. And he pretty much cuts himself off at that point. He just He's like, all right, I'm just going to go have a brandy. Right? He's kind of saving his stuff for later at that point. And this is when everyone else, I do believe, comes out. Yeah, this is when the counselors, everyone's done said their thing. Everyone's really mad at Nynaeve for being Nynaeve, apparently. Uh, let's 
Uh, let's see. What do you guys? So, what did we learn? They're gonna do about the war, right? And tell us that they're gonna. Uh, this this is the chapter, I think. Someone mentioned about you know what they were gonna do about the war. What was it they were gonna do? Because the war is going on, do you guys they're remember? gonna do the the patrols, reach out to the other towns, and basically set up like a like. Uh, like watchtowers to see if anything tries to like come into the two rivers area so that they can alert the towns basically. So they have a, an mm-hmm. early morning detection system. And as, as you mentioned, uh, Betty, this is where we kind of get the idea that maybe Matt seeks adventure. Cause he's like, Oh, I'm going to do it. I'm going to sign up. He's like, you're going to do it too. Right. Rand and Rand, Rand kind of gets taken away a little bit by the idea of adventure. So he says he'll do it. Of course, not everyone was for in favor of the patrols. It was Tam and was it the mayor who was only in favor of it? I can't remember, but yeah, yeah. it was a split vote. Which makes you know, it kind of really paints this picture about how you know the majority is not that concerned about it. It's just certainly a very select few. Certainly, Tam is kind of you know. I had alluded in our first episode where he certainly seems more well-traveled, more experienced, and certainly has a higher suspicion of certain things. Yeah, kind of thinks like the other villagers don't. Yeah, and I think uh, Rand's more apt to join the patrols for more of a sense of community and duty as opposed mm. to adventure-seeking. Yeah, yeah, good point. I'd agree. I'd agree there. I want. I did want to say, you know, Tom really paints this really nice picture about, you know, how far and how remote their city is or their villages compared to the rest of the world. About how, you know, is it Barillon? We you know would be the last place to get the news. Well, actually, you know, Two Rivers looks like it'd be the last place to get to news to kind of make it sound like the war had already been going on for so long before even, you know, the rest of the village had even heard about it. And so it kind of puts into this picture of, you know, how much has already happened with the villagers being so ignorant of everything. Yeah. Yeah, they like it's half a year behind, it seems like. That point... uh... Everyone's getting all riled up about the watch getting put into place, and then we find out what the uh, well. After Tam uh, calls Rand and says we're going back to the farm tonight, uh, he goes and has a moment with his friends, and they're basically going to try to recruit other people that have seen the writer to try to convince the council that it's actually there and like it's something they need to be worried about. Which we find out just in a few paragraphs is not necessary. Yeah. Because apparently the council is, is good with the fact that there's yeah. a strange man in town. Yeah, yeah because... Uh, as Eddie pointed out, this is the chapter where we get that a lot of young men have seen this yeah. this writer. Yeah, by my count, it was like five that had seen it by now. Does anybody have any thoughts on why only the young men can see this writer? I it almost sounds thoughts, like maybe but... they're chosen. Certainly, I think of many of them are 
the protagonist in the story, so it's not too surprising to see them as kind of selected. You know, they also did get the coins for, from Moraine, and so it certainly sounds like they have a greater role to play in the grand scheme of things. I would, I would agree. What are your thoughts, Skyler? Um, sorry, I just lost my train of thought. So, okay, I got it back. Um, so the fact that only the young men can see it might be a bigger indication that the writer might just be a spirit or apparition trying to like find a worthy being to like inhabit or communicate with or you know target in some way, shape, or form. But then also further, like kind of deeper into that, might even give way into that the writer might actually be a female appearing to these these younger men. Interesting theory. Bit of a siren, maybe. A really creepy siren, but siren nonetheless. Yeah. They do what they gotta do. They do. Uh, we also get another. I, we also get another uh, opportunity to see Rand kind of being groomed for leadership in the community, right? Because he has this conversation with Tam about the watch, and Tam's kind of gives him the gives him the life lesson that sometimes it's best to make the plan, even if the plan doesn't make sense now, to sh- you know show that something's being done and kind of head off mass hysteria in the community. Right. Because he's like, you know, give it give it an hour and then they'll be like, well, this road isn't too far. Mind you, it's across the river, but it's not too far from here. And maybe they'll come through town and then everyone's in a tizzy. So even though the watch probably won't do any good and won't see anything, he gives them the lesson of sometimes it's best to be shown doing something, even if that something isn't necessary to to ease people's minds. Right to to give him some some sense of security, and Rand kind of feels it. Right, the end of the chapter is him saying that he doesn't feel so bad or he doesn't feel scared about the writer because now he knows the two of his is behind him. So again, you get that really strong sense of of a, of a tight woven community that supports each other and that draws strength from each other. At least that's what I got from. I don't know if you guys agree, but that's what I got from that. I mean, they, they kind of have to draw strength from each other, you know, being so removed from everything else that they're just now finding out about the war that's going on, allegedly. And even if it's been going on for years now, like, it's a wonder they hadn't heard anything about it yet until just now. Which just goes to show that, like, there's such a, a strong, like, self-supporting community that they don't really need to reach out to the outside world for anything and furthermore from that like they actively don't just because they don't need anything from the outside world or they're very stubborn and don't (laughs) see that they don't need anything which you know certainly they kind of painted over and over again in like the first few chapters we don't need no stinking badges right stinking badges that someone the other day who was young and they didn't get the reference. I was like, ah, oh, it's just hurt. Right. The other observation I had that I forgot to mention that just made me it was interesting to me is that Tom Mer- Merlin has Merlin. Tom Merlin has Merlin in his name. Yeah. And he's kind of a 
you can magician you know, of sorts magician yeah. he, he seems to kind of fill maybe that magician role i don't know if you guys agree but maybe being set up as kind of that that magician i thought it the, was kind of an homage yeah an homage to that the idea of the the wizard that knows more and is sagey which you know if he used to be a court bard would certainly kind of play into that role or maybe he wasn't a court bard per se and that was kind of a stretch of what he truly was you know kind of a courtside magician or advisor you know anyone else got any more thoughts about chapter four i haven't talked about yet well i mean the the gleeman i I will kind of reel it back a little bit the gleeman actually does point out that Rand has different colored eyes, and there's probably not anyone with similarly colored eyes in the region. So yeah. like, he kind of gives that, that nod to the the mystery as to where mm-hmm. the difference of Tam. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I wonder if he has the same color eyes as Lan because I went back and looked, you know, because they make this comment. Yeah. You know, he has gray eyes, maybe where land comes from, too. And so I went back and looked at the passage where they described land. Certainly, I'm pretty sure they intentionally didn't mention his color of eyes. But it certainly made um, Rand think to say, am I from the same area as land is from? Yeah. That was a good, that was a good reference, yeah. Although I did, I thought the blue, I thought land had blue eyes for some reason the way I read that. They looked at Tom's blue eyes. And thought that, but it could have been, it could have gone either way. It was definitely an idea that he's to reinforce that he is not. I think not it's, from here. I think it's starting to put that thought in the back of Rand's mind that he ain't from around. He never, he never really thought of before that he could be from anywhere other than the, than the two rivers. I mean, all of these new people in town, that's the first thing they notice is that he looks different and doesn't fit in and he must be from somewhere else, even though Ran has never even thought about it because no one leaves the two rivers and he's always been here. And how could he be from anywhere else? What are you going to say, mom? Well, I mean, just as in the way people are generally, it's uh, kind of surprising that he isn't some kind of outcast or talked about because he is different. Mm. Yeah. Within the community yeah. itself. That's a good point. Yeah, that would. That, it is interesting that he's not more ostracized for being different than ever. They're so small of a community. Huh? We good to move to chapter five? It's a good observation. Yeah, I'm, I'm good to move on. I want to say there was one more passage. Certainly, oh, uh, kind of. You know, when we talked about the whole ambiguity of who the dragon is. You know, certainly there's one that says the dra- about the world breaking. You know, the dragon may have started it, but it was the Aes Sedai who actually broke the world. Whereas in the earlier chapter, it kind of said, you know, the dark one's the dragon. It's like, no, the dragon is not the dark one. And certainly they're continuing to play on this um, story about who is truly the bad guy or who truly is the good guy or who's at fault for everything that's happened. Yeah, it does leave it wide open. Yeah. I mean, that mm-hmm. that's also one of those, like, stories and tales that kind of falls victim to the whole, um, it's been handed down for so long, these stories mm-hmm. have, they like, 
and even probably translated a couple of times that some of the like original meanings and or intentions have been lost. And so now it's just like, well, we know these people exist. These people might exist. And this one's said to exist, but as to who's good, who's bad at this point, it all seems kind of uh, pretty jumbled right now. All they know is they don't want no trouble <laughs> with, from these people because they're Jewish folk and they don't need yeah. it and they don't want it. Sure. Which, I mean, um, what is it? Taron Fields or whatever is the, the that town? Taron Ferry. Taron Ferry. It also seems like another reason they would call that kind of like the weird place is uh, like they specifically mention that like while they're talking about the patrols and stuff that no one really comes in and out of the two rivers area. They definitely don't actively cross the white river. And those that have like even fewer of them have returned to like tell about it. But even then, like the few visitors they do get go through Terran Ferry. It's like that might even be like another little like reason why they consider that such a weird town is because they, they get the most outsiders out of everywhere else in the Two Rivers area. Hmm, yeah, I'd agree. But, I would agree. All right. I think we're good, which puts us on to Chapter 5, Winter Night, and oh, howdy. Well, you know, it, it's, not, it's not a hero journey if something bad doesn't happen. And makes them leave, or at least makes them um, makes them question stay. Makes them or, leave know, their hobble. Like that. And makes them leave their <laughs> hobble. And uh, we, we, I don't know, we may be going that direction here, considering all things going on. But so they do head back to the farm. We get a description of it. You know how it's it's a it's a solid farm. You know everything's put together well. They got some sheep and a cow and chickens and a horse. Uh, but apparently, a not a lot of they have um, a few sheep. Few sheep. Yeah. Few sheep. Yeah. Um, but apparently, not a lot of uh, the cows not giving a lot of milk. Hens aren't giving a lot of eggs. The sheep need shearing, but it's still up. too cold to shear. Because mm-hmm. he was he was noting that um, the sheep looked uncomfortable with the amount of like growth they had on their on their wool, but it was still too cold yet to shear them. It's like almost as everything's in waiting. Just sitting there yeah. waiting. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I think that goes along with spring just won't come. Yeah. Everything's just stuck in a perpetual state. Yeah, of late winter. Uh, growing up on a farm, I related with this chapter of Tam going... Lots of chores. Well, being, being we're here, we might as well get some chores done. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. There's always work to yeah. be done. And then Tam keeps his spear uh, close do. by and Rand keeps his bow and arrow by. Close by while they do some chores. Uh, Rand does make the mention that the sheep seem pretty placid, right? So he doesn't think that the the black cloaked rider has been around, or the sheep might be a little more spooked than they are. So that doesn't stop Tan from checking stuff out. And this this kind of I saw this as an interesting. Anyone notice what Tam does with the water when he's checking out the area? Yes, yes. You guys catch it's like that? It's like it might be poisoned or something. Oh yeah, right. Again, that's more to your, you know, your theory, Eddie, that he's he's more than a simple farmer because I don't know of a, many farmers that would choose would think to check their, yeah, their water to make sure it wasn't poisoned or tainted or something. Yeah, I certainly picked up in that cue too to kind of say, you know, 
in a typical adventurer fashion, he definitely knows what he's doing. Yeah. there. I feel like there's some sort of just ominous feeling in the air with Master, Master Lewin in the other chapter carrying his hammer around and now they're all the way back at their farm, but Rand's got his bow right there and and even Tam, who also didn't see the rider, you know, has has his spear. So they're they feel like something is about to happen. They don't know what, but it feels like something bad is about yeah. to happen. Yeah, even though they're more to think it's like a refugee or a bandit, right? Yeah, and like even even when they finally go into the house for the night, like it says locks. that Tam locks yeah. locks the doors. And Rand yeah. makes the observation that that's the first time he's ever seen those doors get locked. Because yep. Tam even had to search for the key. <laughs> right. We hadn't seen in a while. But, it makes you think about how things used to be back in the day where you know people would leave their front doors unlocked and opened and things like that, where it just felt much safer back in the day. Not to say it was much safer, but it just felt much safer back in the day. Yeah. And just in this one night, it all just flips, yeah. kind of, or this one day. I'm going to say Rand's probably in some decent shape after considering he can chop, like, hours worth of firewood and not even... Get in the zone and I've just... I've tried that one. That's, yeah. that's hard work. <laughs> firewood. Yeah. Well, like, it night. even mentions in there, too, though, that, like, he doesn't realize how late it is, which means he's zoned out. So he really wasn't aware of his surroundings by then. So, oh, like... He chopping stack. He might have like missed some stuff going on around him while he was while he was chopping wood. He's apparently in in deep thought about something. Yeah. Well, just you know the rhythm of exercise. Sometimes you just kind of get your mind your your muscles take over and your mind shuts down and you just yeah that mechanically doesn't, do that doesn't ex- happen when I exercise. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> definitely do a good no runner's picture high of painting. For <laughs> no runner's high. I, I get a runner's yeah. high. Yeah, they do a good picture of painting, kind of like how Tara was saying, how long winter has persisted to say, you know, back in the day, I wouldn't have to chop all this wood. The piles wouldn't have to be this high. But now, you know, I have to continually chop and, you know, the wood is stacked to the brim, essentially. And so they've definitely continued to paint this very ominous sign about this dragon, false dragon kind of thing. No food to eat. Yeah. Yeah, I'm talking about it. They laid a couple... Yeah, they put some crops in early, hoping it would get something going. But stunted cabbages and the, the beets weren't even growing, growing up yet. It's mm-hmm. a shame. No, that's all right. Beets are disgusting. <laughs> Personal opinion. Yeah, we get a good look at the. <laughs> we get a look at the inside of the house. It's it's uh, seen to be not as tidy as it would be if there was a good wife, but you know, respectably tidy for. A bachelor and his, or a widower and his, a widower, yeah. widower and his and his son. You know, it's, I it, I live there. Seems nice. Seems nice and nice and homey in there. I got a shelf of books. I got a nice rug. I got a reading. I actually thought of you, mom, when they mentioned the oaken table. You know, as much as you love the kitchen table that's been passed down to us, I just yeah, thought about you on a broad oaken table that fits twelve. Well, I feel like their house would look like our house when I'm not here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was impressed that he had books and was a reader, and because um, those can't be easy to come by or 
you know, how did he learn to read? Yeah, because it, it does talk about how you don't get very many books. You know, the peddlers, peddlers don't carry very many because they're hefty and heavy. And the Two Rivers is basically the last stop on very on the trade train. route, kind of. So even if they did have a lot of books, by the time they get there, they've already all been picked over. So how he acquired the books is... Uh, and the people like that are more likely to trade for what they need to survive more than luxuries. Right. Pins and, and needles. And, and even like then, that. like if you are if you do have someone that's really interested in books, the peddler's not gonna sell them his entire stock of books because there's everyone in town he's he's basically got a ration of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we uh <laughs> and we just kinda get them getting ready for dinner, you know. And we do see here the key. He's like, best be safe. You know, I'm going to lock it up. And like you said, Rand's like, I can't remember the last time I lock it. We even locked the door. We also get Tam doing something else after he locks the door. What might that be? The, uh, the sword. Right? So he, uh, Rand doesn't have a memory of Tam ever pulling the the chest out from under the bed. Except for tonight. And he sees him come down wearing a sword. What uh and the sword I don't know, it was an interesting description. What do you guys think of the did you think of anything? Well he he makes the observation that it looked very much like uh Lin's sword. I think that's his name. Yeah, like Lance. Yeah, Lance. Yeah. yeah, the the guy that's with Moraine. Um mm-hmm. like it it looked it they went out of their way to say that it looked very much like the engravings on his sword and stuff like that. that yeah, like it was a, a mm-hmm. some type of standard. Yeah, which, which especially not standard to the merchant guards, right? Yeah, yeah. Which he, he talks about the merch, the merchant guard swords, and he <clears> says they're they're kind they're ugly compared to this. Of course, this one almost like very, sounds very more basic. like a saber. Dak probably knows more about swords than I do, but definitely doesn't sound like your typical, you know, medieval double-edged sword. It sounds more like a saber almost because there's only an edge on one side. It's curved, but it's thin. It's actually katana-like. Okay, is, is what you want to is is what they're kind of ah, going for. Okay. But yeah, it is. Yeah, the the katana kind of look. So less of a uh, curve, per se, just the curve at the tip, per se. So definitely more like katana-like, but definitely not like your traditional medieval knight sword yeah. that you know they see with the guards and stuff. Yeah, broadsword is the term for your more typical sword, probably, of this time, with the two edges and the, the thicker blade. Tam says some interesting things about the blade, though. Right, he says he got a long time ago. I mean, what, Mom, what do you think about his little speech about his sword? Oh, well, I think he's blowing smoke. Same. <laughs> <laughs> because he, he also says that it's it's not worth two coppers or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's like, Your mother didn't approve. Yeah. Okay. Was it worth the two coppers he paid yeah. for it? Or yeah, yeah. Or two coppers is just too much for one of these. Well, did he? Pay, I feel like I, I went back and forth on the passage, trying to figure out. You know, certainly they've talked only about money like twice about you know the silver coin and the two coppers. To figure out if this sword really is two coppers, I feel like they're painting this picture no, where yeah, he's like thing. saying like you know it's not worth two coppers. Like he's really trying to downplay it, really trying to continue to hide his past from Rand to say it's no big deal, it's not that mm-hmm. impressive. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and he does just kind of I picked it up. Yeah. You yeah. know, somewhere and doesn't really specify how it came to be in his possession. He says that he paid the price when he was young or he had I was young then and it seemed worth the price at the time. So he does yeah, it doesn't specify it's the price, he just kinda of downplays that he paid something for it and now he has it. Well, and, it or if the price was even well, money, you know, it kind of, and I just you can sorry. infer that maybe the sorry maybe that the price wasn't monetary. Yeah, you know, I just noticed he says I got it a long time ago and a long way from here. Would would Rand even did know? Did he even know his dad had not always been in Two Rivers? It doesn't sound like it from this chapter. I mean, I'd like intellectually. Like the back of his mind, I guess he knows his dad probably wasn't ever, didn't always live in the two rivers, but it's what you talked about earlier. It's the. No one ever leaves. Well, it's just, it's just not worth thinking about in normal everyday life. Mm-hmm. Right. So he's probably always known it, but has he really cared, cared yeah. enough to think about yeah, it, what that it, means? It's like well. he wasn't expecting to hear this news, Yeah, but he's also and, not surprised yeah. by it. We often don't think about our parents as people either. True. Yeah. Not, not until we're much older. I kind of agree with that sentiment, actually. You know, I was, you know, as my parents being refugees, it's sometimes you think about it's like, man, thinking about the things they went through yeah. in their childhood compared to what you did is just mind blowing sometimes what mm-hmm. they did to survive or to get to the point where they are now. They just seem so normal, you yeah. know, if that's a good way of putting it. Like they've always been yeah. that way is all you can see them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, not me. That's true. Like, yeah. and your parents are just your parents until they're not. Right. And like, in like, just because like he was away, it almost begs the question. Like, like all that passage did was like form questions for me. Like, the the first is most likely yes, but it's was Tam lying about how he acquired the sword? Most likely yes, but maybe not necessarily like full on lie, just more of like a lie of omission. Right. Because, like, if he did only pay two copper for it, it might have been, like, a, say, like, my next question was, was he enlisted for a short while? Was it part of his enlistment that they just gave him this huge discount? Okay, give us a couple of coppers. This is your sword, blah, 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 whatever. But then also, like, or that couple of coppers was at the buy-in for, like, a poker game or something. And did he, so did he win it in a bet or... Or was it actually Rand's mother's sword instead of his father's sword? Ah. <laughs> there we go. I, I, I put some deep thought in there. <laughs> <laughs> Those are some solid ones. We'll have to see what we can what we see as we go. I definitely infer that the price he paid for it was not monetary. Yeah. That's that's what I think. Like there's some deeper backstory that is more than just, oh, I found the sword or, oh, I bought the sword when I was in the Outlands or he, something. He definitely didn't pull it from a stone. I kind of get the vibe from him that he regrets this time of his life. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Right? He's like, I would just, I would just give it away if I could. Yeah. Rand's like, give away a sword. He's like, I farm. What? I have no need for this. I think that's also, you can infer from the, the price he paid for yeah. it was not was not worth it, which is why I think that it's, it's not it was something more than money. 
So they, they, Rand is definitely given a new view of his dad there. I get some more questions than answers out of it. I get ready for dinner. And he's just thinking about all these questions. And then the door rattles. And surely it must be a neighbor seeking seeking some goods, right, that they're just low on before bell time. But apparently not. No. <laughs> apparently not a neighbor. It's bad. It's bad. So we get this description. A figure filled the doorway, bigger than any man had ever, Rand had ever seen, in black mail that hung to his knees with spikes at the wrist, elbows, and shoulders, clutching a heavy scythe-like sword. Now to fill the doorway, you know that's a, that's a pretty big. I mean, I don't know how big the houses were in the two rivers, but a standard doorway today is about seven feet. Right, that's a uh, tall well, order, one yeah. could say. Well, and he just like broke iron off the door. There's that. Yeah. So he literally just busted in an iron lock. Yeah, because like back then, they, like, like it, it, it was a solid wooden door and. Just he splintered it as he went through it. Like they, like that is one of the things they said that he just splintered this solid wooden door. And uh, initially, Rand is Rand's, Rand's like, oh, 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 it's okay. But then he notices something interesting. Uh, he notices ram horns because he's like, oh, okay, it's not the Black Hope Rider. But then he's like, oh, wait a minute, that's not that's that can't be normal. All right, so we're, we're told that there's ram horns on its head, a mouth, or a muzzle where there should be a mouth and nose, and then he just flings a hot kettle at it. <laughs> just reflex. He's like, oh, God, no, get away from me. And just, just chunks a hot, boiling hot water kettle, which probably didn't feel too good. Yeah, because it, it said it struck it in the face, too. Part screen and part animal snarl Yeah, on that. And then I think we, we do really get some, we just get to dig more into Tam in that idea of maybe enlistment or maybe a martial background, right? Because we get a nice little passage here where Tam just just reacts uh, in a way that I infer would be muscle memory. Right. Very well, instinctual. It also, mm-hmm. it yeah, also answers a question of what is a Trolloc, because it talks about the Trolloc Wars earlier, but you don't know what a Trolloc is, and yeah. now we know. And, and it seems, yeah, and it seems, seems like, like the, the Trollocs vary from one another. Because, yeah, like, yeah, we get a... Yeah, like, not all of them have hooves. Like, some of them have regular feet. Not all of them have ram's horns. Like, I think one of them, uh, he even counted, said, uh, looked a little bit like a wolf. Oh. Yeah, and a bird. Yeah, yeah. the bird head, too. They're a weird Trollocs are a an unknown amount mix of human and animal in some fashion. Um, and it's chimeric creatures. Kinda chimerish, yeah. I always thought this was a solid a solid fantasy bad creature that's distinctive, right? Because it's not an orc. It's not a goblin. Like so many so many fantasy series just kind of borrow goblins or orcs. But here we have a, a truly unique, disconcerting <laughs> evil is, thing. No, no spoilers. But this was what one of the one things I was the most disappointed in in the show was how they made the Trollocs look. They do such a good job in the books of all the descriptions, and they just they just don't come across for me in the show. 
I'm okay with it. Just gonna show. throw that out there. They almost I'm sound like satyrs. That's why I think yeah. more yeah. Greek mythology, right? More yeah. half and half. And then variations mm-hmm. off the satyrs. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. As a satyr. So yeah, um, Tam goes into instinctual mode. He just flashes the sword. Thinking Tam sounds like he cuts the neck because it comes a gurgle. Yeah. Well, flips I, the, I think flips as, the I, table I think, up. You know. Yeah, he's like he's in full on battle yeah, mode. He, he, he kills two. Yeah, flips the table. And it, like, as he was killing them, like more was just coming through the door, and like so he he basically had him funneled, and so he flips it like basically built his own rampart with the table, and then tells Rand to. Go. Pull ass out the back. He was like, I've got this. Like, I will buy you some time. Get out of here. I think it's because Tam knows that they're not here for him. They're here for Rand. Like, and he probably knows Rand ain't going to be able to do much to help. Yeah, they, it's not really... they can give two shits about Tam. Like, they just want him out of the way. Whether they have to kill yeah. him or whatever, which is probably their intent. But, uh, yeah, they, they just want It's also forward. probably parent, I mean, parent instinct, too, right? Yeah. You, you don't want your kid in an unsafe place when they can't defend themselves. And there's no way Rand has training training. I mean, I guess they talked about bell time has quarter staff competitions, but it's far cry from a quarter staff competition and an archery. Competition he had his bow maybe, you know, cause he yeah, sounded like, yeah. He built his own bow and sounds very he's confident. The only one besides Tam who can even draw it back. So he's so dang tall. So he's good with a bow, but other than just combat melee training, uh, I think that's a little lacking in the two rivers. You don't need it, right? Other than whapping each other with a quarter stick once a year for fun. And we, uh, and we yeah, and Rand definitely uh, doesn't like being told to go. He feels a little shame. He he kind of he understands he has to go. He understands that he can't help, but he also feels shame that he can't help because right. he doesn't want his dad to be in danger. Uh, so yeah, he's told to run for it. And he makes it. He about opens the back door. Well, he well he he about lifts the iron bar and he remembers. Oh yeah, the door itself is it's locked. locked. Yeah. And and then he has the extra thought of, oh wait, if they're at the front door, they're probably well, at the he, back door. maybe at the back door. I think I think he heard scuffling outside that door. Like I think he heard that they were trying to come in that door. And then like as they were is when he decides, well, windows as good as any, and just yep. bust through. Yeah, busts through the window, or he he stealthily goes through the windows. Dat Tam busts through the window again, just oh, being yeah, a total right. bad, yeah. badass later on. Uh, but yeah, he gets out the window quietly, tries to warn his dad that they're coming in the back, and then then he sprints from the farmhouse. And we had this short comic relief of him fighting with the hoe handle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's freaking out because he thinks he's gonna die, and he's cursing himself an idiot because he's. I mean, journaling's up. This is not something he's ever experienced before. He's kind of he's out of his depth, right? Not, not every day you get attacked by half satyr evil things that have some nefarious purpose in your house. That you think are just mythical and truly for stories. I mean, they they don't even know that they're real. Like, obviously, Tam has seen them before, but to Rand, these are just mythical things that... These are not real. Why, Actually, are, why are they here? Tam hasn't even seen them before, but he, well, he knew knows, people he that knew, he trusted. He knew that they were real. Yeah. As of, as I mean, Rand's, Rand says that this isn't, these are only in stories. 
Do you think yeah, he's sure it's lying? To have that happen. Oh, go ahead, Eddie. Do you think he's lying about never seeing a Trolloc before? Because it sounds like, oh, I've only been told about what a Trolloc is, but I'm 100% confident this is a Trolloc. It just kind of sounds so, based off everything else where he's been trying to hide his past, you know, it's one of those, is he really saying he's never seen him before, or has he actually never seen him before? I mean, I definitely think Tam knows. Yeah. Trollocs are real. Whether he's seen one or not could be up for debate, but mm-hmm. like Rand himself just thinks that they're make-believe. Yeah. They're just parts of the stories that they're told. In the Blightlands. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine what it's like having literally it would be like the what? devils of your of your your poor stories show up in front of you. I mean, it would be like one of us stumbling across a dragon or a unicorn, you know, even, even though we want those hey, things, I, we'd just be I've like, got my shadow these, box these are, that I got for my birthday last year. It says in case of dragons, break glass. And I got my dice ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He, he gets on, he fights with a hoe, hoe handle. He, he's like, well, you know what? I'm just gonna hold on to it because it can't. It's it's better than my bare hands. <laughs> so I guess I'll you know I'll, I'll keep it. Penner, or the everything's freaking out, and then yeah, we just get. I mean, this is just the chapter where you start. You you get the idea that land that land that Tam is a badass. Like cuts down two trollocs, flips a table, busts out the back window, like action hero fighter style. I mean that's that's impressive to me. I was I was pretty impressed. I was like, no, Tam, go. Right. Well, and like, I'm gonna I'm gonna dial it back again a little bit too. Like, just with the, mm-hmm. the sword yeah. in general, my my theories there. Like, since it says that it's it's a lot like a uh, land sword. Uh, like, does that mean that his father was once like Lamb? And his mother was like Moraine, you know, mm-hmm. like he was, he was her like protector in a way kind of thing. Like, you know, it, it almost begs that question too. What do you think, Eddie? What do you think about that theory? Uh, very possible, actually. Mm-hmm. Kind of a nice little duo. Of course, you know, Mor- uh, you know, Rand's mother did not want the sword. And so it almost sounds like she did not want a protector per se, or at least that kind of protector. So I wonder how that'll play out. We'll have to see. I like it. That's a good theory to have. And then he uh, he leads the Trollocs away from the house. Rand hides in the barn, holding his hoe handle. Well, uh, when, when Tam busts out of the house, uh, Rand calls out to him. He's like, I'm behind the barn. I'm not in the woods. And it, it makes note that his dad runs the exact opposite from where he is. And then he makes that realization, oh, he's not coming towards me because he doesn't want to put me in danger after he just basically sent me away, kind of thing. And so like, he's, he's yeah. leading the enemies away from where Rand is at, yep. trying to protect him. And then, and then the woods just look changed, right? He tries to convince himself he's just playing a game with his friends where you try to sneak up on each other. But it all seems so much more serious now. Yeah. Yep. Well, because he also makes the the note, like the mental note, that there's no sound. Yeah, he doesn't it, make it's that. Not even yeah, like not your like crickets or cicadas or whatever. Like it's there's no sound. 
and that, that and freaks him out even more because like man. the shadows Shadow and stuff man. like that kind of get to him a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's the idea that whenever you want to be quiet, you you everything you do, you feel sounds louder. So you like you touch a tree and you're like, oh god, right, <laughs> like kind of thing. Uh, eventually, he does meet up with Tam, though, right? Tam kind of freaks him out. Yeah. Grabs him from behind to keep him from yelling. Of course, he about about takes Tam out. <laughs> just yeah, <laughs> just out of sheer fear. Yeah, and Tam well, calls it, out to that too. He's like, "If I'd have known you got so strong, I wouldn't have done that." And Tam knows a lot about Trollocs, right? They can see better than men in the dark, and they're lazy. They can track by scent or sound. It's like, hmm, maybe more theory to the. He's definitely encountered them or extensively, extensively no, yes. heard about them. Yes. Enough to enough to trust. believe it, yes. Yeah. Yeah, and that is that's cool. That's another cool thing I like about these breed of monsters is, you know, the so the wolf heads they're the ones that scent better because they have a wolf nozzle, a wolf muzzle. muzzle. Uh, I think the bird ones are smarter. So they they're more average, they're above average trollic intelligence. Rams are not just kind of the brute. <laughs> they're, kind of, they're not the smarter ones, um, but it is cool that they've built these animalistic traits into the head to give them kind of variations on top of just what they look like, also their abilities. Well, we know at some point during the weaving of the wheel that there was a trollic war, so maybe that's where Tam has gotten some of his. Training. Uh, apparently, he he has a real fancy sword that you know is more than merchant guard. So maybe he was some sort of officer in some sort of military, or he apparently has some extensive training from somewhere. Yeah. So they talk about the Trollocs. We get some good info on Trollocs. Uh, we find out Tam's hurt, and he's like, nah, "I'm fine." Typical stubborn two rivers. I got this. The, the typical, the like, fictional, fictional character. character. No, I'm no, fine. I'm, I'm like, stabbed in the side. Like, <laughs> the main character. It's just a flesh wound, okay? It's a flesh wound? It's a scratch. What a scratch. Your leg's off. No, it's not. Yes, it is. Okay, maybe it is. Yeah, but, I mean, that, like, still that, it's just something you see in, like, the movies and TV shows all the time. Yeah. One of the people closest to the main character. There's this fight. They get stabbed. And they don't call attention to it. You see it in zombie movies all the time. They always try to hide the fight. <laughs> like, yep. Every and, time. And it only took two episodes for our first Monty Python reference. <laughs> It'll happen. Be on the lookout for more of those <laughs> Hey, that is, that is a gem of a movie. I won't hear anything otherwise. I, I didn't say it wasn't. <laughs> Just preparing the listeners. <laughs> so yeah, he's burning up with fever. Right, he says he's on. Oh, that, that's so. The only reason he knows that is, um, Tam's like, man, it's nice and balmy out here. Should be fine to hang out in the forest at night. And Rand's like, what? I'm I'm cold. <laughs> what are you doing? So yeah, he's on fire, and he's yeah. he's like, just let me rest. I'll be fine. He's like, I don't think you will be. I don't think you're gonna be fine. So. Besides, going to head back, right? He's going to head back to the barn, get some supplies. Well, he needs the cart because he knows he needs to get 
Tam to Nynaeve and he can't carry him. So I think he's still in a little bit of a state of shock because he's trying to go through the, oh, I need this, but I need this, but I need the cart, but I can't get the cart hooked up. And then I need the horse for the cart. Yeah. So I feel well, I mean, like, like he's very, he's very stressed right now. Yeah. And he needs blankets to keep him warm because like, because he, he tried to pick him up because he can carry him in the tent. Like the way he would have had to carry him would have just injured his, his body further. So he's like, oh, I need to cut yeah, it's the the idea when you're stressed, you reduce yourself to a checklist, right? Yeah. Something you can focus on and move from small, small moments. Keep you distracted, so you don't panic. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so he uh, takes Tam's sword, right? Because he's like, "Well, I don't my mo my my mop handle sucks. <laughs> my hoe handle sucks. So <laughs> I'm gonna take the sword with me. This since Tam can't doesn't need it." Uh, heads back to town, or heads back to town. Very back to the main farm. character energy. Nope. Leave this person defenseless. Mm-hmm. Here, have this yeah, stick. Yeah, will be fine. No one will find. <laughs> you take the stick. Uh, he, I mean, he's he's definitely jumping at shadows the whole way back to the farm. Yeah. He's exhausted from stress, just trying to get back there quietly. Uh, he does finally gather up the courage, and he thinks the Trollocs are gone, and then his poor house is just desecrated. Apparently, Trollocs are just nasty. Nasty individuals. Oh, yeah, the, the smell he described. He's like, he's like even sure. if you pulled him out now, it would still probably take a, a couple of years to get the stench out of the wood. I'm pretty sure he mentions that... I'm, I'm pretty sure that the Trollocs pooped on yeah. the medicine. Because it says they're covered in a... Right? I, just, I got the impression they pooped on the medicine. <laughs> I just thought they had different colored blood. Oh, I, got, I thought it was pooped. What did you, you guys think about the medicine? I thought they pooped on it. I thought it was blood, too, but now when you put it that way, I could definitely see that happening. I thought it was excrement. I really did. but That's, uh... Maybe I just wasn't listening close enough, but I assumed it was just just like acrid smelling blood. Because most of those in all kind of high fantasy monsters have like weird blood, like an alien with the acid blood and just nastiness they all have weird blood the small bag of willow bark and other medicines were part of a dark muddy looking pile yeah. so i just muddy I looking just okay they definitely just some more excrement like the vile smears defile the walls oh. i mean i took that to be like they literally like went to the bathroom and <laughs> i mean tam was Flashing them pretty good. Maybe scared the yeah. little shit out of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they They're did die. The bowels territory. let loose. Yep. It's a thing. People let loose the bowels when they die. This is a mature rated podcast, by the way. So <laughs> things happen. Things happen. Things, things happen. But uh, Tim, so Rain gets in there and he gets to talk to Narg, the smart Trolloc. Yes. I will go ahead and tell you that this is the only talking Trolloc in the entire series. <laughs> this is it? We got That's to see weird. it? Weird. That this is, is weird. They never, they, never talk, they never talk common again. It's just Narg. Narg smart. There's, there's an entire trope in the fandom about not Narg smart. Huh. He's the only Trolloc. That well, I mean, it, it does also talk. say that like the words were distorted and hard to understand coming from a mouth never meant yeah. human speech. But certainly he's capable, so you would think within the entire 
species, I don't know if that's the appropriate word for them, that there would be another one who is capable of speech too. So it's just, it almost sounds like, hey, let's make them talk. Hey, that was a bad idea. (laughs) That's honestly what I think happened was he was like, I'm having to talk. And then as he kept writing, he was like, you know, they don't need to talk. They don't need to talk. It's much easier if they just don't talk. It'll be fine. We would have so many more names and characters. <laughs> yeah, do you need more? You need more names. You won't need more names. Definitely made them sound like, hey, you know, there is a very because they described them as very human esque in certain uh, regards. So it would have given them a much more human level of uh, develop character development to say, hey, is there something else going on? Because you know, I was thinking, it's like, well, if you know, if this guy could speak, what if they're just more mutants of humans, like mutants? mutations or you know um gross torturings of human prisoners that turn them into trollocs and stuff that made them human-esque but you know if only one ever speaks and i guess that's less likely (laughs) maybe why he stopped having them speak (laughs) intent was definitely for them to just be like the foot soldier kind of yeah monster they're, they're yeah. your basic Most, level one orc, so yeah. he probably didn't want to put that much effort into a There's, what will eventually be just. They're just supposed to be nasty, killer, destruction, mayhem, and they, they do speak the black speech. It. Well, not yeah. it's not the black speech is Lord of the Rings. No, these black speech is in here too. I think they use that phrase, but they do speak a particular language. Uh, just they just don't speak common outside of Narg. So. There you go. I just thought you'd like to know that I'm sure you got excited about a talking trollic, but that's the last time you'll see it. So, unfortunate. He does try to convince Rand to put the sword down. He's like, Narg smart. Narg no. Narg no, Narg no hurt. Back. Well, he also Narg no hurt. He also mentions Mirdral wants to talk with her. Mm. Yeah, we we haven't seen that that no. phrase yet, right? That's the first time. And then and then Rand thinks to himself, "What does a fade want to do with me?" Is that the first time we've heard fate yes. in the book? Yes, I believe so. Okay, so yeah, those are those are new terms for the creatures of uh, of the dark one. We've gotten a lot of new characters, a lot of new. You need to start your name list now. We've even in just these three chapters, we've had several new characters and new terms. So I would start making your list. Seriously, think about fighting a trollic though. I mean, if they're like eight foot tall and they have these hefty. Essentially, animal saber, bodies. animal yeah. bodies. So they're super strong, right? They kind of have really strong limbs. They're thick, like they're they're pretty bulky. They might knock you over. Yeah. See, you guys all said satyr. I had minotaur. I went straight minotaur when I <laughs> thought of them more than more than satyr. Like less even. lean and more bulky. More bulky. More more intense. I went more satyr. Satyr's I went more Roman than Greek. I went fawn. <laughs> <laughs> Very kind. Satyrs just want to chase nymphs and drink the wine. And minotaurs are the more destructive ones. But, you know, satyrs are much more manipulative, which, you know, if they were going to continue yeah. down this route. Um, Narg would have been a very good satyr, but you know, again, if they all turn into brutes, all I, I smash, I kill, then certainly I think you know, the rest are minotaurs. Narg is the only satyr amongst them. Narg smash. Because he's very I mean, manipulative. Kind of like- yeah, the, the, the wolf uh, under bull's clothing. 
Yes. <laughs> yeah. Because he's very smart. He's like, hey, let's just talk. As soon as he put his weapons down, he lunges at him. So he's very cunning compared to the rest, it sounds like. Yeah. He, and he just barely gets the blade up. You're not, you know, it's the common, don't know how to use a weapon. Stick him with the pointy end. Just hold it in front of me and hope. He was, Stick him with the yeah. pointy end. <laughs> he was just <laughs> low enough yeah. that he brought it up halfway. Apparently got him in the vitals somewhere. Yeah. But I always just imagine if, like, I had to fight one and you, you've got this brawny animal, like, muscle, seven foot, and it's got, like, probably a couple pound sword. <laughs> That stink, and it's got this like you know four pound giant sword, and it's just swinging it. The amount of force behind that sword. Yeah, and then on top of that, like if it if it lands on top of you and you do run it through, you still have the sword hilt that's going to be basically knocking the wind out of you because it's yeah. it's protruding it's, that way, and like it it might even break skin if it like lands on you hard enough. But still, like, he's gonna have a bruise from that. Hmm. He definitely got a bloody shirt out of it and probably some bruises. Because yeah, it slams him against the wall, so he's probably got a bruise back from getting slammed against the wall. I assumed that was Trollic blood on his shirt. It is. Not his. Yeah, it's, it's Trollic blood. Yeah, because it, it mentions when he changes clothes that like he wasn't marred or anything. We don't know much about fades at this point, other than apparently they say the stories, say they're 20 feet tall, have eyes of fire, ride shadows like horses, and when they turn sideways, they disappear. Yeah, so I don't want. I yeah, don't want to beat that. It also says, which means like doors can't stop them or something like that. Yeah, no wall yeah, could stop. Yeah, them. no wall can stop them. Yeah, I don't know how much of that is but, real. But, but it also it also says that uh, even Trollocs fear fades because when it, it said that when Narg mentioned Mirdral, mm-hmm. I don't know how to say it. They um, yeah, said it right. Okay. It's Mirdral. That as soon as he mentioned the name, like fear flashed across his face, and and they they also also specify in there too that like it's nearly impossible to control a trollic. The only the only emotion that they really understand and will uh, obey is fear, and even then, it's hit or miss as as to whether or not they will or not. Mm -hmm. So, like for all these trollics to be coming after him at the bequest of a fade, like, you know, that, you know, Rand plays a much bigger part in this story. Than he, yeah, yeah. than he thought he did. Yeah. Ever thought he would. Oh, we forgot to talk about, they slaughtered everything at the farm too. Yeah. They slaughtered all the sheep, yeah. right? Cause he, he's, he rises the sheep are really quiet and he kind of freaks out when he touches the sheep and it's all bloody. Yeah, we realized they, they kill for sport. just the sake yeah. of killing. They have, no qualms about just killing anything in sight. Yeah, and even Bella, the horse, no. was killed, and their cow. Yeah. yeah. No, no we don't loose. know about Bella. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Bella's stall was open. But yeah. I, was, I don't know if they mentioned the cow ever. I'm but I was sure thinking, too. and all that, he hadn't. He has nothing to go back for. Yeah. 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 At this point, There's nothing to stay for. Yeah, nothing to stay for. So he gets some, he cleans the sword, gets some supplies from the house, uh, everything he can think for his list, goes to the barn, Bella and the cow are gone, so he can't use Bella. Uh, he kind of comes up with a conclusion, though, when he sees uh, how, that what he can do with the, uh, with the broken cart. Uh, I just wrote as a comment, dang, that sword is sharp. 
Definitely worth right, more than hacks, two copper. Because <laughs> he, he hacks a bunch of wood with it, and it's still razor sharp after he hacks a bunch of yeah, wood. Yeah, because he, he barely touches his thumb to it and cuts his thumb. Which he mm-hmm. then sticks his thumb in his that's mouth. Not which is probably not sanitary. Or trollic poop. Or trollic poop. Could be poop, blood, any mixture of it. It may be a well oiled but... sword where oh, yeah. all this says slides Bella off. And... Bella and the cow are gone. Yeah. What did you say, Eddie? Oh, I said the sword may be you know so well oiled and kept or enchanted that everything just slips off, you know? Nothing sticks on the blade. <laughs> like uh yeah. like a, a goblin crafted weapon in Harry Potter. It doesn't <laughs> it gathers no dust and it never needs sharpened. Yes. It only takes what makes it stronger. But I mean I would I would agree there's definitely something special about the sword if it can hack that much wood and be fine afterwards. Yeah. But I like I did make the note that even though he may not have his fighting instincts, he still thinks pretty quickly on his feet with because he, he fashioned yeah. the, the gurney to transport his dad. I, yeah, well, yeah. I'm, I'm assuming it's it's mind. a gurney because like we don't actually get to that part, but he, he basically gets the wheels in like a an axle that he could be basically create like a makeshift cart to transport his dad to town with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's called a litter, actually. Gurney is when yeah. you, two people carry yeah. it. But yeah, I know what you mean. But yeah, I'm with you there. Would you agree, Mom? You think he seems to be a fast thinker? Yes. Yeah, he's trying to put things together. He's got to, you know, he's got to get town to town. Yeah. That's pretty much the end of the chapter in terms of that. Yeah. He gets the stuff, heads back to his dad. He's afraid Tam's worse because he's asleep, so he's praying that he's still breathing. But and the fever, he's breathing, but his fever's worse. Yeah, but doesn't he fashion? He is it like a splint or something that he fashions for him? Um, no, not yet. I think it it ends here. He changes his clothes because he's got because he's in bloody clothes. So he changes his shirt, and then basically he just puts all his energy into thinking: if I can get you naive. You'll be fine. Like that's that's the only that's his like all consuming thought is I just have to get to the village. The village equals safety. As long as I get there, yeah. we're good, kind of thing. And yeah, that's the that's the end of the chapter in terms of stuff there. Next observations I've got. So I think we hit all my observations that I had. We talked about the trollics and the tributes, how Tam was a badass. Uh, yeah, that's that's all I've got um, in terms of stuff. Did we miss anything? Anyone else wanted to bring up about any of the chapters? Any conclusions or no? Any um, major uh, predictions you might have that we haven't? There any new predictions? I think we Eddie's is ten more than farm prediction has been proven true. <laughs> I, I definitely think. I think we've hit that yeah. one. The part. Gender will continue to play a massive role in the maybe not. I don't know about the entire story, but certainly a good portion of the story because. You know, like in the beginning of the chapter, it talks about, hey, this house will never be clean as it can be without a woman, you know. And so it continues to mm-hmm. very heavily rely on these gender roles. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that continues to develop. It'll also be interesting to see kind of how Nynaeve responds to all this. Because despite her being the wisdom, you know, in my mind, I think, you know, she's like the crazy witch. And so I would expect her to be you know, heavily uh, 
ingrained with all these thoughts about Trollocs and stuff, but she seems much more down to earth to say, you know, there's, you know, what are you talking about these dark stuff for? You know, it's probably not that. She seems much more logical and reasonable, whereas everyone else is much more superstitious. So it'll be mm-hmm. interesting to see what her reaction is to Tam and the Trolloc attack and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a pretty spot on uh, assessment yeah. of Nynaeve. Very logical. Yeah. What's in front of her. And I'm just wondering where the Trollocs, did they only hit Tam and Ran? That, I was thinking that too. Like, did they hit the town? Like, like if, if, if they hit certain parts in the town... Could they be targeting like everyone that saw the rider? Right. Could be. Um, I was about to say that could be a prediction there is that they're targeting everyone who saw the rider versus just Rand. Yeah. Of course, they didn't attack Rand. They attacked Tam, who didn't see the rider, right? right. So well, they attacked the house. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they attacked they the house, ran. and I, I yeah. think they mostly went after Tam because he was a bigger threat. Yeah. Like, he I, had the almost sword, feels he like... knew how to use it. It almost feels like they were looking for something too, though, um, because they have a really good descriptive passage about, you know, when Rand returns to the house, how everything's, you know, turned upside down, things are hacked apart, but, you know, every drawer had been pulled out and smashed, every cupboard and cabinet had stood open, and doors were mm-hmm. hanging sure. by the hinges. So it almost looks like they were searching for something and not necessarily just someone. I like that. I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't catch that. I mostly just caught that. Yeah. yeah, but you're yeah. right. They did. It did. It almost sounds like a burglar. A uh, burglar broke into your house to say, you know, who else goes through all your cupboards and pulls out every single drawer and turns over everything? Right. You know, which, which for me kind of begs the question too. Like, if it's something specific that they were looking for, maybe it was something one of them was recently given. Like Rand was given that coin in town. But like, the Nard did. Oh. I was gonna say, like, if if that like bears any sort of like like if Lorraine is involved with these creatures somehow, is she like somehow marking these boys that need to talk to the Fade or something with these coins that she's given mm-hmm. to them? Like, interesting. Because like, if it kind of seems like Fades are like magical creatures, well, it, like in like when the boys were given the coins, it said the the the. Uh, image on the coin was of a female holding an open flame in her upturned palm. So mm-hmm. you think kind that an... Moraine might be, might be shysty in uh, playing in a kind of marking them for these attacks? Yeah, she could be. I don't know. Which lead, I think Mom's going to say something about Nar. Go well, ahead, he Mom. did say that the Mirdral wanted to talk to him, to Rand, not to Tam. Right. So, yeah. So, yeah. it could be could be a bit of both, looking for Rand and objects. My biggest thing is how how did these huge giant beasts, granted it is dark at the time, get there without anybody seeing them? Just how did they get into the two rivers? Where have they been hiding? Because I does talk about the their remoteness. their remoteness, and there's only certain ways to get into the two rivers. And how did these giant massive things just appear? Yeah. Something to think about as we go forward. They were in Pat and Fane's wagon. What is the word I'm looking for? Teleport? No. Did this. Magic. Yeah. 
Yeah, magic. magic. I can't. Yeah. I can't. The, the fade. Like, the fade. They, they wave polymorph on the eight horses that pulled the wagon. Apparition is teleporting, that's the, moving. No, but that's not the word I'm looking oh, for. Oh, okay. I, I don't know what she's doing. It's okay. All right. Those were some good observations. We have uh, officially gone about six minutes past our hour and a half mark for this episode. So we'll go ahead and uh, wrap it up here. So next week will be chapters six, seven, and eight. And we will continue our journey then. Thanks for listening to our podcast, guys. And we'll see you then.